Hi, everyone. Welcome to Less Lonely, More Loved, a podcast series from the Young Adult Ministries here at St. Mark United Methodist Church of Atlanta, where we are ordinary people exploring our queries of faith. Today, we are back with episode four of Advent, part two on love. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife and had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and named him Jesus. I'm pretty sure that the angel goes to Mary and Luke and the angel goes to Joseph and Matthew because of like the, mm-hmm. like we always talk about in like, uh, like biblical exegesis, like what's the, what is like the intent of the author? Mm-hmm. What is the author's right. intention? And Matthew is like a good Jewish man. Like that's how people read. Yeah. Matthew is mm-hmm. like, Matthew was a good Jew and like mm-hmm. wanted Jesus to be the Messiah backed up by the Jewish scriptures, mm-hmm. which up until this point, like obviously the New Testament didn't exist. Right. So this is just the Old Testament, just the Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. Which is why like Matthew is like, yeah. As was foretold, as was foretold, as was foretold. Right. But like Luke is more like, like they call Luke the doctor. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't remember where that comes from, but mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So Luke, Luke starts with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, right, which genealogy make, means a lot to it for like for the Jewish people. Right. We're all about that for for the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like in Luke is when the angel Gabriel goes to Mary. Mm-hmm. So my whole, my, here's my rub once again, is if Matthew and Luke both have copies of Mark, which is sort of how we set up when we're talking about like Mm -hmm. ancient biblical, how did all of this this happen? How did this happen? Right. We think, we think everybody had a copy of Mark Mm -hmm. because Mark was probably like really, 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 really super early. Yeah. And Q, whoever Q was. Right. Maybe Q was a woman. That'd be great. Um, but like the rub for me is like, why Joseph? Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, what were you trying to say? Yeah. What are you trying to say? And it just feels very like, um, like because Joseph was a righteous man. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. He wanted to really... leave Mary alone to raise a baby. Yeah. People do play on that, um, theme. Right. Of how... Yeah, graceful Joseph was. Yeah. It also like it also reminds like it also reminds me a little bit of so I live really close to the Feminist Women's Health Center. And uh I often like if I take the expressway home, I drive by it on my way home. And nothing fills me with righteous anger faster than seeing like 
grown human beings Mm -hmm. sitting outside of the Feminist Women's Health Center praying to end abortion. Mm -hmm. How do we... How do we talk about trust if we can't, like, mutually determine what we're supposed to be putting our trust in? Because, like, the people outside the Feminist Women's Health Center trust and believe that they are ending abortion by standing outside of the clinic and praying for people, which is, like, so violent. Right. And so unnecessary. And I think consistently about how if... These people put their energy into, like, global climate change. Right. We could get things done. We could get things done. Because they have, like, it's, like, 3 p.m. on a Friday. And you have this, yeah, this time. Where do you work? Yeah. What do you, what you be doing with your yeah. life? Well, I think she also talked about the relational trust we have with one another. Right. Which is, like... Living in community, putting your well-being in the hands of someone else. And I think if we were actually in the business of doing that, then we would have to understand each other better. Right. Well, because that's love, right? Mm -hmm. Like loving. I feel like when you love someone, things that would bother you to do them for people that you don't care about. Yeah. Well, and it forces you to change. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, like, walking my dog. Someone, like, my dog, like, wasn't my dog to start with. Um, I was talking like my partner's dog before we started dating. But I now do the lion's share of walking mm-hmm. of the dog. Um, but I, like, love him. Yeah. And so I want his sweet little four-pod self to feel good and not be, yeah, like, having poop come out of his eyeballs. Yeah. And he's such a happy boy when we go for walks. Um, it was very good for their mental health. Yeah, and we do lots of sniffs. We call it a sniff tour. Mm-hmm. So we don't go for walks. We go for sniff tours. Right. So unless it's a business walk, which means that I have to, like, get here to the church. And yeah. so we can't dawdle about and, like, sniff every bush and find, like, he's very, like, meticulous and sort of ritualistic about his pottying habits. So he has to do, like... A bunch of like little like half turns before he like determines where he's gonna lift and do his business. So it's wild, like how much dogs actually understand language. Right. The I was finishing up my finals. <laughs> I was getting you. to the point where it was like, I I don't have time to shower. I don't have time to eat. I don't have to like I have to only focus on this. Right. And my dog was trying to get me to pet her. Mm-hmm. I said, Sophie, go lay down. She didn't lay down. She knew exactly what I meant. And I was like, I'm sorry. She knew. She was, like, trying to de-stress you. But then yeah. she made you more stressed out. So she She's was like, all right, like, all right, I'll go lay down in my bed. <laughs> I have to – so um, Bo has, like uh, – he, like, really struggles with really high-value toys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he – I do these, like, raw bones for enrichment. Um, and they're frozen. Like, they're, like, marrow bones. And I'll, like, ask him and be like, do you want a bone? And he, like, knows immediately. Yeah. So he's like, oh, yes. <laughs> and he'll, like, go and, like, stand by the kitchen. He doesn't yeah. like the kitchen because it's tile. But he'll, like, stand, like, right on the edge of, like, where the carpet and the tile meet. And he'll, like, like look at me and look at the freezer mm-hmm. and look at me and look at the freezer. Because he's like, I know what bone means. Yeah. And I want one. And I know where they are. I know where they yeah. live. Um, <laughs> and so I'll, like, give him one. And he'll, like, take it from me. And he'll be, like, so excited. And he'll, like, go lay down. And he'll, like drop it out of his mouth, and then he'll 
whine about it. For like, he's so happy? Because he's, well, he's like so happy, but it hasn't thawed. Oh, and so he's yeah. stressed about it because it's like super high value and he really likes them. Or like, this is what I'm reading into yeah. it, right? Like I'm totally anthropomorphizing him. <laughs> but like, so I'm like, totally like, he's like whining and he'll like pick it up and he'll like carry it into our bedroom and then he'll like whine and like carry it back out. And he does this like, I probably like super natural behavior for dogs where he like digs around in his bed and like tries to bury yep. it and he yep. like boop it with his nose yeah. and like toss the bed and like boop the bed with his nose, um, which does not actually result in any sort of burying Mm-mm. because it's not like his bed is a blanket. It's like a foam thing. Yeah. Um, but he will like aggressively bury his bone like so hard that he rubs his top of his nose raw. My dog does that too. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be bleeding. On yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So then I like have to like take, take things from him because like now he's bleeding yeah. and he won't stop the yeah. behavior. Um, and so he did that a couple weeks ago with a bone and I finally took it away from him. Um, but he had like, there were like all these like red streaks, like all over his bed. Mm. So I pulled like all of his blankets and like his beds from like the bedroom in the living room. And put them in a pile this morning because I was going to wash them. And then he, like, went and, like, laid on top of the pile of, yeah. like, all of his, like, stinky blankets. Because yeah. I was, like, he needed a bath. His bedding needed a bath. And I can't do one or the other because it's, right. like, if his beds are clean but he's dirty, then he's just going to get everything stinky again. And if he's clean but his beds are dirty, then, like, he's just going to get stinky again. Mm-hmm. So everything has to get washed in the mm-hmm. same, like, sort of period of time. But... He's so funny. Like he, like it's like he knew, because he has like a go to go to your bed cue. Um, but if he gets stressed out, he will take himself to his bed. But he saw me like gathering his things, and it stressed him out. Yeah. So he was like trying to go to his bed in the middle, the, and he wouldn't. And he kept like rolling over on his belly and giving me his belly. Yeah. And I was like, I just I need to wash your things, my dude. Yeah. Like. Aww. So this is a very stressful morning, poor Bo. That's very stressful. Um, okay, love. 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 I think like the the thing about the thing about love when we talk about Advent is like, I mean like I don't want to get like super esoteric with it, but I I think for me the thing that is most or the thing that like I call to mind the most around this holiday season because I also really like to celebrate the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like winter solstice and Christmas Eve and Advent for like, are usually like all happening around the same time. I mean, the 21st is always winter solstice, but um, everything else sort of happening like all around that. And I think that there is a certain level to which like we talk about Jesus being love incarnate Mm -hmm. and that like love is born into the world But I also think that if we're all created in the image of God, it is also a reminder that like love is born in us. And it is, there is a, um, I think that there's something really divine and really special about the idea that in like the bleakest moment of the year, like longest nights, shortest days, cold, at least here, like in the Northern hemisphere, like it's cold and it's bleak and still the thing that we are we are remembering right now and like yes early christians moved the birth of jesus from the spring to winter to coincide with the winter solstice for like purposes of 
proselytizing. But um, still, like, in the midst of the bleakness, like, we are remembering Mm -hmm. that, like, love is born in us. And that almost feels, like, a little audacious, like, Mm -hmm. kind of bold Mm -hmm. to choose, like, a time when people feel hopeless to talk about hope and to think about, like, a time that is... Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm cold all the time. Like, I don't feel joyful, but, like, Mm -hmm. we're talking about joy. And, like, Mm -hmm. our world is a place of inextricable conflict. And, like, we're talking about peace. You know? Like, it just feels sort of – it's, like, the opposite of the opposite. Yeah. Becomes, like, a positive sort of thing. I don't know. I think that makes me think about – I think I think love and joy and peace like are always positive feelings, but they feel differently at different times. And when you are in a place that you feel like is overall bleak or overall hopeless, those yeah. moments that you share with people that make you feel joy or make you feel love, it's like a special kind of version of that feeling. It feels yeah. very very like yeah, just like the comfort in a moment where you're feeling very hopeless, you know? Yeah. I think about like, and and wintertime is like a great example of that. Like I think a lot of people suffer in winter feeling more like just isolated, lonely, like, and, but think about how you feel when you're like inside at nighttime with like a group of people that you love. Like that just feels special in a way. And it's not more or less better than when you feel love in the summer. But it's just its own version that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, like, we, like, are people who have dogs and no backyards. So, like, it's not like you can, like, really quickly open the door and be, like, go do your thing and, like, close it and, like, stay in your house. It's, like, we have to be outside lest our dogs poop or pee in the house, which would be... Like, the worst thing. It was like, my house is mostly carpet. Mm-hmm. So it would be the worst. And I'm very thankful that at this, at least at this point in his life, he's good. He's good. Yeah. Um, like, I think he would rather, like, yeah. explode than wow. pee in the house, okay. which is awesome. That's good. Yeah. Um, but, I, like, I think for folks that, that, like, don't fall into those categories, um, like, geez, the other day when it was, like, raining and really freaking cold Mm -hmm. the last thing that I wanted to do was go outside and if I had not literally needed to go outside with Bo I probably would not have gone outside and could have gone like from being in my house to being in my car to being in the church to being back in my car to being in my house and that would have been my whole day yeah do you see that as like a positive or a negative because I see it as like I I try to choose to see that like because the part, the parts of taking care of a dog that can feel annoying at times, I try to lean into like, no, like she's getting me outside. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think that like it is really good. Mm-hmm. I think that being outside is always a net positive. Like always, even if it's cold, raining, really warm. Like if you have the right tools. Right. Exactly. You know, a proper jacket, sunscreen, water, these things, whatever. Like I feel like it's always a net positive. But also like... I think that there is something that, like, even if I'm walking just with Bo, like, and we're just, like, me and the dog, so, like, technically, I am alone, so to speak, there is something sort of 
comforting about being outside. And even when I'm alone, I don't necessarily always like feel alone and not like I feel like the presence of spirits. No, like I just, I think that being in nature is good company. Do you feel that way? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I feel walking particularly is different than being out, like driving or like it, it really, it's such a slower pace. Yeah. It helps you to like even just look around and like feel more reflective and feel more grounded. Right. And I think too with dogs, like, requires you to complete certain tasks every day that feel like a routine and dogs can be very routine driven oh my gosh Bo like lives and dies Mm -hmm. by his like 6 p.m dinner time Mm -hmm. and so time change is always a struggle in our house I think that there are certain ways in which we sort of like revolve our lives around our dogs I know that that's not like the thing you're supposed to do but like it happens. Yes. Yeah. It happens. I also think, like, you're talking about, like, being in the car versus walking. And I, um, having lived in Atlanta my whole life, might perhaps struggle with, like, a little bit of road rage. <laughs> and I might get a little frustrated <laughs> at times. Particularly driving, um, like, in areas of Atlanta on the highway where the highways do goofy things. Because, like, they do in Atlanta. Like, they do weird things. And... Like, the worst car accident that I've ever been in happened when, like, somebody from out of town didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. But, so, you know, like, I might have, like, a little bit of road rage. But when you're walking, you're, like, totally in control of, like, your pace, your direction. You know, Bo oh, yeah. can be, like, reactive to other dogs. Or, like, particularly people who wear, like, hats and sunglasses while they walk. Like, he just really is not a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if we see someone coming who has a dog or we see someone coming who's, like, perfectly well within their right to be wearing their sunglasses and their hat on a walk, we can just, like, turn around. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, that easy. Yeah. You know? I wish it was that easy to, like, avoid problems in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Just be like, ah, yes, this is going to be problematic. Yeah. I'll just turn around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and driving in Atlanta, I would consider it as a problem in my life. (laughs) It stresses me out so much. It's too bad we don't have good public transportation. Sure would be good if we did. Mm -hmm. Or even city planning, like, as far as roads and stuff. Right. I think this is true in a lot of cities, but I've also heard a lot of people draw, like, a connection between, like, Atlanta planning, especially with roads and stuff, Mm. um, with just, like, you know, feeling free to just continue, like, disenfranchising certain communities over others. Absolutely. I mean, you, like... I'm trying to think of um, what road it becomes, but maybe Ponce. It's like Briarcliff becomes Ponce de Leon, and it's like that. Like the reason that like long roads in Atlanta do that when it's like you have made no turns, you have made not even a significant like curvature of the road. It's like this was intended to so that like white people and like BIPOC folks didn't live on the same street name like I 
I just think sometimes that like, and as a white person who like continues to try to like dismantle white supremacy within myself, like I just think about how awful and petty and misinformed and like not full of the Holy Spirit my ancestors were to do that. Mm-hmm. It sucks, frankly. Yeah. Is your family from Atlanta? Like how long have... So it's sort of complicated. I'll tell you why. So my great-grandfather um, was like from a prominent Atlanta family, as is told to me. Um, and he had a falling out with his family. Is this your great-grandfather on your mom's side or dad's side? On my mom's side. Okay. Um, and he had a falling out with his family and he uh, changed his name to John Smith and moved to North Carolina. What a name to change. Right. Right. John yeah. Smith. Like that. So that's what he did. So he moved to North Carolina um, and like had family and like lived out his days as John Smith. And then his family from Atlanta hired a private investigator to find him. Um, but they found him after he had like died prematurely of like a freak accident where a tree fell on him. My grandfather um, is really into ancestry stuff. Yeah, and yeah, has yeah. Into stuff. And through that process, kind of like pretty much determined that his grandfather, that was not his name, what they knew him by. Um, so kind of, kind of a similar story. And it's like, but from the other, like as if your great-grandfather, his yeah. second family of like, right, like, whoa, you don't know the backstory. Right. So it's like, what did that mean? Why did he change his name? Where did he come from? All right. I, I think that this is like, it's so interesting because now that we live in this like massive technology age, like it feels next to impossible for something like that to transpire in the year of our Lord 2021 yeah. with like 23andMe and like Ancestry.com and Facebook and... Well, that's how people are finding out all these things. Right. They're but finding out all these crazy stories about their family. I feel like we are like... And, and you know, if, if people are determined, I would never put something past a determined person. But mm-hmm. I feel like just the amount of scandal that people used to be able to get away with is outrageous. Yes. Especially things like that where it's like you get upset, you take like take all your money out of your bank, you can like roll. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What even? Yeah. I have a great uncle, so my mom's mother's sibling, who um, just got mad, I think, one day Mm -hmm. and like jumped on a train. And like bye, and just like rolled. <laughs> yeah, for a while, you know, like just had to <laughs> had to get out of life. town for a while. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> had to cool off. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just amazing to me. It's just amazing to me because I I feel like uh, I feel like even if I wanted to disappear in that way, it would be really difficult to mm-hmm. actually make that happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like a very practical person. Mm-hmm. Um, like big Taurus energy where I'm like the steps that I would have to take yeah. to disappear. Like yeah. I have, you know, my, the same phone number that I've had since I, say, I was like 50. Right. No. And yeah. oh my God, I am a product of my generation. Like if I don't have my phone, I am lost. Mm-hmm. Like quite literally, like if I get too far out of the city of Atlanta, like. Yeah. Okay. One time 
I was driving from the Outer Banks, North Carolina. Yeah. To back to Alabama. Okay. And I've made the drive many times from like Boone to Alabama. Right. Which is through Charlotte. Yeah. But Outer Banks is like all the way on the other side of North Carolina. And I, my phone broke. Like, I, it just wasn't working. Like, you couldn't turn it on. I would have to, like, find a Verizon store. Like, there's just no way. I, but, like, even how do you do that without a phone? Oh, I my God. I went to a gas station to borrow the cashier's phone. And I, like, called my mom. I was, like, feeling so sorry for myself. I was like, hmm. And she was like, go to Walmart and buy a map and buy a phone. Like, a text. Like, you can enter in, like, you know. Yeah. So that's what I did. But I didn't know where I was. So I, w- I went into Walmart and I bought a map and I, c- I knew the name of the town I was in. Right. But like, but like beyond I couldn't that. find it on the map, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> I couldn't find it on the map. So I walked up to this man, this older man, and I was like, can you point to where I am on the map? And he looked at me so strange. He was like, are you okay? Like, I'm sure in his mind, he was like, she was kidnapped and she just escaped and she doesn't know where she is. Like, that's the vibe I was giving off. And I was like, because that's how vulnerable I felt without my phone. Because we're so pitiful yeah. without our phones. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was thinking while you were telling that story, where would you even go in Walmart to find a paper map? Like, do they <laughs> even sell those everywhere? Like, what? <laughs> I, did, I had to look in a few places oh before I found God. it. Oh, yeah. my God. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I... I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. Ridiculous. Okay, love. Okay. Recenter. Recenter. Do you feel inspired by the text in any way? Jeez, can I share with you, like, my, um, my like, biggest mm-hmm. secret as a seminarian? Mm-hmm. I, like, massively struggle with the New Testament. Okay. That makes sense. I I think in part because there I have like all of my religious trauma is like really tied mm-hmm. up in like in Jesus mm-hmm. because like when I was like sort of in like the height of like my own internalized homophobia, which was like very attached to like a very conservative view of Christianity, mm-hmm. like everything was like in the name of Jesus. Mm. Like, we cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We speak in tongues in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We, like, prophesy the truth. And, like, and, and, and all things that, like, in sort of my post-coming-out deconstruction, like, all things that I'm, like, oh, like, I can dismantle this. Mm-hmm. This is like I can set this like in the Pandora's box of my cult-ish time, mm-hmm. and like be fine with these parts of it that I can sort of like pre-polish or like re-polish and like put back up on the shelf. Um, but I think that like the letters of Paul, yeah. nope, yeah, part of the Bible, but like nope, can't. Um, the Gospels, some of it is fine. Some of it is still a work in progress. Yeah. Um, I also I also just think, like, so much of that time was, like, also wrapped up in, like, doing so much of my, like, deconstructing in my faith was also, like, decoupling Jesus from white supremacy and decoupling 
Christianity from anti-Semitism. And like, there's just like so many really like negative things that can weigh down like Christianity. Yeah. Um, and sort of like trying to figure out how to claim my own spirituality mm-hmm. uh, while also doing no harm to myself or others or the earth is sometimes like very challenging for me. And I think that like in seminary and Dr. Halen's class, like I was still very much like sort of on this journey. It was like very sort of still very close to like letters of Paul, which we did second semester with a different professor. So like can't really talk about those. We did the gospels with Dr. Highland though. Okay. Um, and I feel like she just like, number one, had a really generous yes. reading of the scriptures. Yes. She always had a very generous spirit mm-hmm. around what is truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that like that was very freeing for me. If she had an agenda, it was just to teach us how to be responsible interpreters and right. to not be lazy in our theology and in our interpretations. And like, you know, we're we all are gonna have our own motivations and our own agendas. Right. But hopefully we'll be more responsible and wise because of that class. <sighs> She's just so good. I just like love her for that so much. And I wish that like I wish that that was, like, the goal of Christianity and spirituality was, like, the goal is to be wise and to be responsibly wise. And, like, the goal is not to, like, proselytize, like, the gospel in this, like, very specific, finite, with all of your free time, we will pray to end abortion outside of the Feminist Women's Health Center. Like, I wish that it was more, like, to be thoughtful and responsibly wise is, like, a life long learning process Mm -hmm. we got on that whole tangent because you said you had a hard time with the new testament right were you saying that to say that you didn't feel inspired by the text well you asked if i had any sort of initial thoughts and Mm -hmm. i think that whenever i read things from the new testament my initial thought is always i have a sense of self-protection um which is like obviously a trauma response um I also like biblical interpretation for so long, biblical writing previous to interpretation for so long, biblical narrative was in the hands of men for so long that I am just like not as interested in reading the stories that center the narratives of men. That might be like too strong of a statement for the podcast. But I think that I, that is an experience that a lot of people have. A lot of women and girls who are Christian or Mm -hmm. who were raised in Christianity, who have experienced various levels of trauma and hurt and just our world, like you get to a certain threshold of like, how can you redeem this? Like, and so much pain that comes It's a very common experience to have ex- have had pain come through relationships with men, and right. either personal or like by way of tradition. Right. That's just a really big question. I think we do feel that like, oh, you can't say that. You can't write off 
things that were written by men because then what would you read? Right. Right. <laughs> right. What in the Christian tradition would you right. read? And how like uh, and it's like so appropriate. I have my Julian of Norwich necklace on today. Um, but like you would read like Julian of Norwich and like and who? You know, like yeah. maybe the like apocryphal mm-hmm. text of Susanna, like that's all we have now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and that, and so I think for me, like in reading this text for talking about love, I can't help but like also like think about like, oh, like Joseph like didn't want to publicly disgrace Mary. So he was going to just cover it up. Like that's kind of how this reads for me. And it's like, and so I think for me, like, there's just so much that's wrapped up in presenting narratives where men are not believing women. Because, like, that is that is a tale as old as time. And, you know, I think about, like, instances where, like, again, I'm a Taurus. My mood is in Leo. I can get really passionate about things really quickly. And, like, I think about, like, the times when... In professional settings, when I hold just a strong opinion about something and adult male pastors have been like, calm down. And I'm like, you can calm down with my fist in your face. Good, sir. Like, and (laughs) there's just like, I, I think that I struggle with that. And I don't see, and the people that I see trying to redeem Men are queer people, people of color, women. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my like very favorite poets um, is an Atlanta-based poet named Ashley Hayes. And she talks about like she um, has a poem. I think it's called Him. And it's like all about like a it is like a blessing or like a song of praise to like the women in her life. And she talks about like going through like a really traumatic time and she says like and I'm not I'm gonna misquote it but like um she says like black women and queer people are the people that show up and like I just want to know like how long we're gonna have to hold the hands of men particularly white men particularly straight white men how long am I gonna be have to be the one who shows restraint and compassion until like you do this lifting. You insist on carrying the heavy boxes when I'm very capable. Why can't you carry this emotional load? So I think like that, that's, that's it for me. And so I, and I think that that, because I have like clearly so much frustration and build up there, that then it's like really hard to come over here and be like the birth of Jesus, the Messiah took place in this way. And it's like, um, the Holy Spirit got Mary pregnant in a time in which Cause like, I want to believe that God knows and knew. So you put Jesus, love incarnate, into the body of a person with a uterus. Not all bodies with uteruses are women. Mary, from what we read, identified as one. Put Jesus in a uterus in a time when God knew that that like... And it just, and, and so then for like, for the narrative in Matthew, like the kickoff of the gospel, right? For it to be like, 
And so the angel of the Lord went to Joseph to tell Joseph that it was okay because the angel knew and God knew and we know that it wasn't going to be okay unless an angel went to Joseph because Joseph was certainly not going to believe Mary if Mary said divine conception. And I just wonder how we pull love out of that level of mistrust. Like, is it like, because like that feels a little bit like a glorified narrative of teaching women that their truth isn't their truth unless a man can corroborate it. It's like God, for whatever reason, we don't understand like why God works in our world the way that God does, but like within the suckiness that the world can be like surely that's not the fullness and wholeness of who God is like only being able to be validated by you know right 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 well and like that there is like this longing that I have um that like you know just like the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in the caves of Qumran like maybe Maybe there's, like, another prolific jar of writings hidden somewhere in the caves of the Middle East that describe, like, the women and, like, Mm -hmm. the badassery of the women. But it feels very, um, it just feels a little impossible while there are so few men actually doing the work and doing the work with other men first. We just as white people have suppressed the societies in which healthy masculinity actually ever has existed. Like we are so steeped in the patriarchy from like our European now like crossed the oceans blue into the United States. But like, as I understand it from like the limited amount, but some knowledge that I have of like indigenous populations is that it is very matriarchal and that women are deeply, deeply respected in indigenous communities as are two-spirit people, queer people, um, because there is so much equality understood between indigenous people and the planet. They also then, because there's not this like elevated sense of importance over the earth, there's also not an elevated sense of importance over one another, which I think is like massively beautiful. So I think that a lot of this is like mm-hmm. also comes back to white supremacy. Yes, they go hand in hand. Always. When and that goes back to what you were saying about our willingness to choose the abuser over the abused is like, you know, right. never get it, never forget that like your power comes from someone else's power. Like you're, you know, as a white woman, your power comes to your like being close to white men and it's like right we will choose to not stand up for somebody else to preserve you know right and that is so evident across like you know like I think about the women's rights movement and how you know how grateful I am that it existed but at the same time like there were white women who were actively oppressing black men and women because they were like well 
our needs before yours, essentially, because of proximity mm-hmm. to white men and whiteness and white power. Right. Or the only important issues of feminism are the issues that affect white women. And able-bodied white women. Yeah. And straight white men, white women. Yeah. I think that there is a lot of freedom that comes from queerness. Um, but my queerness still does not separate me from my whiteness. Mm-hmm. And that or my able-bodiedness or my... Um, you know, my American uh, passport, you know, my citizenship, um, my education, you know, um, there are so many points of privilege that still allow me to sort of like if we view um, like the ultimate point of privilege as sort of like standing within like the parameters of like the white picket fence, like still allow me like to at least have a very long leg swung over one side of the fence, you know? Um, Even if I'm not like walking through the gate with both feet, like I still very much exist at least partially in that space of privilege, if not more than partially. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. And I think, I think that so much of that, like, in order to deal with that and to deal with that so that we can come to these places where we are talking about love in a really like selfless and beautiful way. Um, which like we haven't really identified yet, but I I think that in order to get there, like we do have to do this work where we can get really comfortable decolonizing and decentering so many things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I go back to the, love being something that can change you and your love for another person and a relationship with a person means that you're open to being changed by that relationship and I think when you're not open to being changed by that relationship that's not or at least I guess that's conditional love right well and I think that I think relationship 1000, right? Um, because I think that we can read we can read books all day. We can listen to lectures all day. We can have degrees and PhDs and all sorts of other things. But um, if we don't invest in relationship with people where we are willing to be like completely laid bare um, by that person in that relationship and not just like, I think that sometimes like we think about like those really intimate relationships as being reserved for partners Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, being able to feel, co- like, intense correction that maybe touches shame deep within you mm-hmm. and being able to return from that and to be able to correct is, like, you're right. Like, that's love. And, like, that is – and that is, like, the gift of intimacy in friendship and partnership in community mm-hmm. is a willingness to be, like, I said this thing. I did this thing. I acknowledge that that came from a deep place within me, mm-hmm. a learned behavior, a learned language, what have you, that was so harmful. Mm-hmm. And to like be able to like apologize, actually be changed mm-hmm. and like, and then not need like, um, like a pat on the back. Yeah. Yeah. For like you did a hard doing thing. the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um and I have there's a um I I like have sort of an anti-racism group that I'm in discussion with on a regular basis and one of the women that is in my group um talks about getting like cookies like you don't get a cookie for doing the right thing I've never thought about this it just occurred to me in our conversation but do you feel like 
because we do ha- very much have this intense focus in our society on like your partner like lifelong like potentially marriage like or monogamous relationship that is the ultimate relationship to which you will like experience like life with and like mm-hmm. fulfillment in and um being connected to just our overall like characteristic of being very individualistic in our society is like you're yeah we're just not connected in these Mm -hmm. like larger like community like extended family like networks right it's just you and and it's it's like this idea that we have that we don't have the capacity to be able to attend to anyone else besides just one other person. Right. Well, and I think that like our individualist society is also where like the lie of monogamy comes from. And like the idea that one person can be all things to you, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's not like a slight to monogamy, but I think it is a slight to close mindedness to other ideas of partnership or family right? or, you know, friendship or friendship. Absolutely. That idea is, is isolating. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I might have like said this on the podcast already at this point, but one of one of my I'm and I I literally keep meaning to look it up because I don't think this is right, but I keep attributing this to Nietzsche or Nietzsche, who says like the greatest sin in the world is not or the greatest uh, problem in the world is not sin, but, like the greatest tragedy in the world is individuation, and like I think that like that if if that was Friedrich, good on him, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So, because I think that, like, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that so, and I think that individuation and individualized society is also a product of white supremacy and patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the opposite of love. The it's, opposite it's, of it's love. It's inhibiting our ability to connect to one another and, like, offer our presence and our support right and be integrated um right and i think we so desperately need that as human beings that like those things will still happen right um but i think we see in a lot of relationships just being dysfunctional and unhealthy especially you know in families and like but i I just don't think because we don't value or like try to do it well together right And I think that that has been made, like, very plain to us in pandemic when, like, we were isolating from people that, like, didn't live in our immediate households or, like, weren't in our little, like, quote-unquote pod um, in order to, like, keep people safe. And I think that, like, the result of that was, like, a very – I think that our entire country, like, slid into some real depression um, from just, like, being lonely or being alone and being without, um, like – not conversation partners because we have like phones and FaceTime and Zoom yeah. and like all these things, but like being in proximity to people, like we are like social animals. Like yeah. we are pack beings. And um, you know, like I was really grateful. I live in a house with five adults. Like it's always a party at our house. Yeah. Like, and I think that like previous to pandemic and previous to being in my current living situation, like I might have been one of those people who's like commune living makes no sense and there are a lot of like sketchy communes with a lot of really sketchy beliefs but i think that like communal living like living with people like in proximity to like help 
with like cooking and cleaning and just like people to like talk with or play games with or be in shared space with is like really good. It's very good. I have actually been thinking about that a lot recently. I My dream vision for my future down the line is that like I live near a bunch of people that I love. This is yeah. unrealistic and it's not going to happen. This specific dream I'm about to say. But <laughs> basically it's just like a row of, of like houses, apartments, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and instead of having a, like a backyard with like a bunch of fences. Yeah. Just like one. Like long fence. Just one long fence. Right. Where you can like have this shared outdoor space with all these people that you love or like family or whatever. Right. Um, and even thinking about like, I hope one day to like be able to be a mom, but also the world that we live in is like expensive. Like it's just that that's just looking differently for people our age. Absolutely. And it's like, I have never been someone who's like, you know what? I was having one kid. Like I have four siblings. So it's like, in my mind, you come from big that's family. what it looks like. But right. I'm like, that's not what it's going to be. So even just like thinking about parenting in that way, like right. what if every person or couple or whatever had like one kid, but we like were doing it together. Right. You know, just yeah. thinking about things differently in that way. Right. Well, and then it's like that, that there is a certain, and like, you know, we don't want to like sort of like borderline up against like, uh, like, um, you know, like when, when China enacted like the one child policy, like that was really, really harmful mm-hmm. and very violent. So like, we're not trying to like, touch on that necessarily but i think that um procreating responsibly is um a very smart thing for our planet if we hope for any of our children potential children children of the people that we care about to still have a planet that has like i don't know cool things like polar bears on it Mm -hmm. like would want that yeah for these future generations um also i'm very honored that you included me in um people our age that that's very nice that's very good for me um uh yeah i think but i do think that there is like a there is a there is a tangibility like that's like sometimes like when you are in those moments of like with your like your gathered friends or family or chosen family where it's like you sort of like step outside of that space for a moment it's like you have like an out of body experience where you like recognize in that moment, like how special it is to be with and close to all of those people. Um, like I'm a very introverted person. So like when people come to my house, like I would really like for them to be gone by nine o'clock. Um, but like I, um, <laughs> there's another on TikTok, um, a woman who makes like these like really beautiful charcuterie boards. Mm-hmm. And when you um, eat all of the charcuterie, it says, please leave by nine, like on the charcuterie That's board. So and I'm like, wow, I feel that so, so very deeply. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like there are people in my life, like including the people that I live with who like, I can like, they can watch my like social battery go from some to none yeah. and be like, good night. Yeah. We love you. And like, it's fine. Or like, we'll be like sitting around the table and everybody's having a good time. And I'm like, you know what? I still want to be in proximity to these people, but I would like to excuse myself from the nucleus of conversation. And so like, I can just like sit on the couch or like pull up my phone and sort of like be in my own world, but still be in the shared space. I'm like, that is like really beautiful. And not everyone has that in the world. (laughs) No, that is, that is very, very beautiful. And yes, you are like blessed to have that. And that's what I, that's what we all need and want to be Mm -hmm. able to be like 
just understood in that way that like the you know you, the people you live with under can see and know you that well and to like we're all working together to like you know just have our needs met right mm-hmm. and I definitely I'm the same way of like I want to be near you right but I want to be by myself right <laughs> right yeah like sometimes I would like to sit on the couch right next to you but I would like to play my phone game mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I would like for us to not engage in conversation yes if you had to summarize like what we talked about what would I say yeah um I would say decolonize and deconstruct your faith deconstruct um and dismantle white supremacy Mm -hmm. and until we do those first two things i don't know that we can fully understand or express the way that god birthed love into the world in the form of jesus christ i think that's exactly yeah and when i asked you the question about the text and like your struggle with it right Because it's so relatable. Right. And I think it's exactly what you just said of, like, God can be in this, Mm -hmm. but our experience of God is, like, is hurt right now. Right. Because of this world that we exist in. And it's, like, how can we reclaim that? And part of that is, like, the work that we need to do for love in our our world right now. Right. Well, and that's, like, you know, I... um, in my, like, very conservative days, I used to, like, listen to this, like, 24-hour prayer room, which, like, is really harmful. But I, you know, like, used to do it all the time. And they're, like, constantly, like, singing songs, which I think, like, comes from – it's either Acts or from the Old Testament, like, about, like, the 24-hour, like, singing songs of praise to God. But there was one song um, that they sung in the prayer room that, like, I actually – don't think is violent. (laughs) Um, But they were talking about God being so faithful and so kind. And I think all the time about like the kindness of God is so very much. And like maybe even like the love of God is so very much in the fact that like we are so, we have like so messed up how like our understanding of God and yet God is still good. Um, And it is, and is so present for us, like when we can find the avenue that is like not harming anyone or our planet or ourselves. So that's so important, that trinity of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had this is one of my sources I had to use. Trauma, Trauma and grace. grace. It was well, I only read three chapters and they're very short, but they mm. were so good. See now, but isn't that like a woman to write a book and to write three chapters that are so short but so good? Yeah. Amazing. It's, I don't, so I can't speak for the whole book, but the three chapters, these specific three chapters were about the image of the cross, mm. which something is I've literally never related to. I'm like, I don't know what the deal is with like right. being obsessed with the cross. It's that like, I guess I'll, I'll get it at some point, but. Right. But, and I'm assuming this whole book is about trauma. I would assume with the name, like, Trauma and Grace. Yeah. A second edition, even, I would assume. But at least these three chapters were about what does the image of the cross, what kind of work does it do? 
mm. for someone who's experienced trauma and specifically violence. Yeah. Um, and... The second, the first chapter just kind of talked about like, it's called the alluring cross. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of like basically was just stating that the cross as an image is something that we can continue to return to. And like, it's kind of curious that we do because it's so violent. Right. And um, yet it's supposed to be this moment of redemption. Right. Um. So that's interesting. And that's like the chapter. It's like, interesting. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> the, this, this next one is the mirrored cross. Mm. And it kind of talks about how we all have these different takes on it. Yeah. And like any given take, can, you can kind of poke holes into it. And then there's right. some takes on it that are like, okay, no, this is not acceptable. Um, but there are generally like a lot of, theological like views that we can draw from that the passion narrative that like maybe one's not better than the other Mm -hmm. um but our own like personal experiences in life Mm -hmm. like might draw us to one image over the other and and the ways in which it like nurtures our own experiences of trauma in our life and like god is in that and like ultimately like theologians and scholars will continue to you know return to this from a very scholarly view but like at the end of the day like the work that it's doing in our heart is like what is important right i'm down with that mm-hmm. cool well, let's wrap this up and i think that that wraps us up for today and i will rope in in addition to our matthew text something from first john to read in service on sunday where the author of 1 John says, Beloved, let us love for love is of God, and all those who know love know God. And for those of us who do not know love, do not know God. And so we lean into the truth that all creation capable of knowing love are capable of knowing God. Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And we hope this week that makes you feel less lonely and more loved. And then outro music. This podcast is a production of the Young Adult Ministry and the Communications Ministry at St. Mark United Methodist Church of Atlanta. The views and opinions expressed here on this podcast are ours and not necessarily those of St. Mark United Methodist Church or its ministries. We operate under an Adobe Standard License for all music and sound included on this podcast. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, head to our website at stmarkumc.org. That's stmarkumc.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at stmarkumcatl and on YouTube at stmarkumcatlanta. Episodes of Less Lonely, More Loved will be released every Tuesday and Friday during Advent and will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and more. If you enjoy the podcast, or even if you don't, we would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and comments. Send all emails to mcesari at stmarkumc.org. That's M as in Mary, C-E-S-A-R-I at S-T-M-A-R-K-U-M-C dot org. We hope you will continue to engage with us, either in person or in one of our many virtual spaces. As always, all are welcome.